just giving you a demonstration. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Immediately, as soon as he heard their cry, he said to them, be of good cheer. And the actual, the original word there means take courage. It doesn't mean be happy. It means, it means be strong. Have courage. Let courage come into you. Let courage rise up inside of you. He says, it is I, it's me, do not be afraid. And uh, in the original language, it actually sounds more like I am. And, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the name of God that, that God gave to Moses in the book of Exodus, he said, tell, tell, tell the people that I am sent you. So this is a very interesting statement that Jesus makes in the middle of the ocean. He says, he says, he says I am, do not be afraid. And I would suggest to you that because he is, we do not need to be afraid. I would suggest to you this is the greatest reason to lay aside fear. This is the greatest reason to lay aside fear because he is. Not, not because you are, not because you can, not because you will, not because anything else will, but because he is. This, is. this is the reason that Jesus gives. He says, do not be afraid because I am. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if you are, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, so Jesus said, come. One word. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind, once again, it's the wind, it's the wind, the, the, the unseen element. Once he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. If, if, if you deal with the wind... The waves just take care of themselves. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. This is the disciples. And this is what they said. They said, truly, you are the son of God. And that, by the way, is the first time they ever said that. That is the first time they ever had that revelation. They saw him feed 5,000 people with just a couple, just a little bit of sack lunch. But they never said that. They saw him do several miracles and heal blind eyes and do amazing things. But they never said that. There was something about this moment that they said, whoa. This isn't just a prophet. This isn't just a great teacher. This isn't just a man of God. This is the son of God. This is God in the flesh. There's something, he is, he actually is I am. Something happened on the water. Something happened in this text that the disciples saw Jesus in a different way than they had ever seen him before. And so as I studied this passage, I just asked myself, what, what, what is it about this boat experience? that set it apart from every other boat experience. Because the disciples had another boat experience, by the way. There was a boat experience where they were in the boat with Jesus and a great storm rose up. And so they went down and woke Jesus up. He was, in, he was on the, ed, the end of the boat, like, asleep on a pillow. They woke him up and he got up and he rebuked the wind, by the way. He rebuked the wind because when you rebuke the wind, the waves take care of themselves. So he rebuked the wind and then he said, why is it you don't have, why do you, why do you have so little faith? And they said to him, they said to each other, who can this be? That even the wind and the waves obey him. So they didn't have this revelation, but now in Matthew chapter 14, something happens in this passage that totally changes the way that they see Jesus. And they're in this boat together and they have a great revelation. By the way, this, this, this passage, this story is told in three of the four gospels. It obviously left a major impression on these gospel writers when they sat down and said, well, how am I going to tell the story of Jesus? Three out of four of them included this story. They said, this is important. You've got to see this. You have to know about this. And so when God repeats himself three times, you might want to listen. <laughs> Just saying. 
And so, and so what is it about this, this story that is so interesting? I mean, I think on the one hand, you know, you have the storm and, and uh, storms are not interesting because storms rose up in this part of the country all the time because where the Sea of Galilee is, it's basically in a basin. So wind would come down through the, uh, I think it's the Hebron Valley and just, and just start swirling and sudden squalls would just, would just, would just appear. And these guys knew this, right? These are fishermen on the boat. Peter especially was a fisherman, lifetime fisherman. They knew all about this uh, condition that would just happen. Storms would just happen. Uh, but, but I think what's specifically interesting about this story is that uh, this isn't just somebody walking into a storm. This is somebody being directed by Jesus to go into a storm. And that might mess up some of your theology, but um, not all storms are from the devil. Like, if, if you are following Jesus perfectly, if you do everything right, you will end up like the disciples you will end up in a storm. You will end up in a place of fear. You will end up in a place where you are in over your head. You will end up in a place where you, it's, a lot of people say, well, God will never put more on me than I can bear. That's not true. That's, there's, there's no Bible scripture that says anything like that. It doesn't. It says you won't have any temptation greater than you can bear, but with every temptation there will be, he will provide a way of escape. But he never talks about you will never have pressure higher than you can bear. You'll never have a job greater than you can do. He, he, he never says that. Because quite frankly, I think it is God's design, Jesus being God, he knew a storm was going to arrive. And he said, guys, you guys got to hurry up and get in a boat. Seriously, like get out there in the middle of the ocean. Go have fun, boys. The storm's coming. He didn't tell them that, but he's thinking that. He's thinking, okay, so right about, okay, all right, go ahead, go ahead. And, and he, he intentionally puts them in a boat in a storm that they cannot overcome. They're rowing for hours and hours. It's 3 a.m. They're still going. They left when it was dusk. I mean, they're still out there going. And in fact, this whole time, Jesus has been up on the mountain watching them. This is not a huge sea. The Sea of Galilee is not. You can see from one end to the other. Jesus is physically able to see them struggling in over their head in a greater situation than they can handle for hours on end. Their arms are getting so weak. They're so tired. They're so sore and they're so fearful because, because they could die out here. And instead of just letting the wind blow them wherever they want, they're trying to be obedient to Jesus, which is the exact opposite direction of the wind. And so even when you do everything right, when you're completely obedient to Jesus, I would suggest, especially when you are obedient to Jesus, the wind will become contrary. The wind was just fine until they decided to obey Jesus. So if you want your life to be really easy, just go with the flow. Go with whatever feels good. Go with whatever feels right. Don't obey Jesus because that will start to mess things up. <laughs> Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, seriously, though... <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there because I am a preacher after all and I want you to come back next Sunday. So I'm just saying though, you ought to be aware, you ought to understand, just giving you a heads up that if you decide to start getting your life right and, and decide to start following Jesus, you are going to face a storm in your life and one or two or more than one or two. It's going to be an uphill battle because the wind, the unseen element, the enemy of your soul doesn't like it when you are on mission from Jesus. He's going to come contrary to you. It's going to, he was, he was, for, if I were you, I'd be concerned if my life was too easy. I'd be concerned because nobody's that concerned about you. 
Because obviously hell doesn't mind you doing whatever it is you're doing. They're not afraid. Hell's not afraid of, of, of anybody getting saved while you're doing what you're doing. Hell's not afraid of, any, of, 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 of your children changing the world with anything that you're doing. And so if you, if you actually decide to go in the direction Jesus tells you to go, I'm telling you the wind's going to become contrary. The unseen element's going to stir up some stuff and try to throw it into your boat from every side. And this is what happens. They, they, they come to a storm. Now, there are some storms that we make ourselves. There's a, you might get in a storm because of dumb decisions that you made. Um, and that's, that's, that's you, so have fun with that. But, um, you know, there are some times when we, when we get in stuff, situations on our own, and we create storms. Uh, but but, 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 but you're, you're going to have some storms. Jesus sends them directly into it, and, and when they're in the middle of it, Peter's, Peter's uh, statement is interesting. If we could throw that back up there. Peter's statement to Jesus, he says, if it is you, I think it's interesting. He says, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, this is pretty much the opposite of, I think, what most of us would say and probably do say to Jesus on several occasions. Lord, if it's you, let that, let that raise come through. Hey, that rhymes. Give me a dime. If it's you, <laughs> didn't even mean to do that. I just, I'm just, if it's you, let that raise, you know, happen. That, that doesn't sound as cheesy. If it's you, uh, let us get that contract. If it's you, Lord, if you're really working in my life, if this is really you, then, 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 then help me to get that, 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 that car that I'm looking for. Help me to get the, accepted into that college that I'm trying to get into. Lord, if it's you, like, make things work better. That's generally our prayer. Lord, if it's you, just calm the storm. If it's you out there, just turn off this, this giant shower that's happening and, and, and just go ahead, just calm it, and we'll believe. Like, you're out there in the water, great. You're walking on water. Hey, whoa, that's pretty impressive. But can you, can you stop the storm? Because you walking on water doesn't help us in the boat. It just helps you, right? It just helps Jesus. He's cool. He's great. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need a life jacket. He's fine. He's walking on the water. But the disciples are still in just as much trouble as they've ever been in. And Jesus is walking on the water. He's not fixing the situation. Usually how we praise, Lord, if it's you, fix the situation. Just, 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 just fix it, make it better, bring the healing, bring the this, bring the that. Just, just do, you know, let's, let's see, and then, and then we'll believe. We'll believe it's you when you do something really, really powerful for me. Peter doesn't say that. Peter says, it's just so interesting. He says, if it's you, command me to come to you. And I've always thought that was kind of dumb on Peter's part because if it was a ghost and the ghost says, come on, fella. <laughs> and Pete just hops out, you know, and sinks like a rock. His name means rock, so that would be, that's, that's especially ironic. You know, like this is not the safest test. If it's you, command me to come to you. It's not the safest test. He's not going, he's not hedging his bets here. He's not going for the safest possible test. Oh, so we do have a little thing here in the school. Come on, somebody. Ah. The guy is in church. He got saved. Hallelujah. And they installed something. I like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you have, he doesn't hedge his bets. He, he says, call me, command me to come out to you in the water. And, and he steps out and he starts walking on the water. I think that's because um, this is the way that God works. 
Because remember, he's trying to figure out if Jesus is God. Uh, because he's seen Jesus do some magic tricks, so to speak. He's seen him do miracles. He's seen him, you know, do signs and wonders. Well, Elijah did signs and wonders. Elisha did signs and wonders. They weren't God. They were just, they were just prophets. They, they, they did some amazing things. Uh, raised dead people back to life. I mean, you know, it's just amazing things. So the, the, these, these disciples, they knew that, that prophets could do amazing things. Prophets could, 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 could have gifts from God to do amazing things. But, but Peter's wondering if Jesus is God, and that's a whole different question. And so Peter asked him a God question. He says, if it's you, command me. I would just suggest to you that every time God comes into your life, he brings a command. Every time it's God, there's a command. If you're wondering, is this God or is it not God? Ask yourself, is there a command right here? Have I heard a command? Because when God comes into the scene, he always brings with him a command. We often want words of comfort, but he brings words of command. He gives you something to do. Whether that's believe, whether that's trust, whether that's step out, whether that's rely, whether that's whatever it may be. He, there's a command associated with the presence of God. And Peter knows this. And so Peter says, if it's you, command me. Sometimes we, we pray for comfort when really God's given us a command. And you're never going to get the comfort until you obey the command. It's just the way it is. Because God, God hinges the comfort on the command. God marries the command with the deliverance. In every instance in Scripture that you see God coming and doing something amazing, He always gives commands, right? When He takes down the walls of Jericho, He gives commands before He does it. When He, when he, when he sends His people through the Red Sea, He gives Moses a command. Stand there all night with your staff, and then in the morning, you know, something amazing is going to happen. But God always connects and attaches a command to His promises. And the purpose of this is not because He's trying to test you, but because within the command, resides the power to fulfill the command. So when God wants to give you power, he gives you a command, and when you respond in obedience to that command, then the power comes through the command. The command is like the channel. Obedience is like the channel that brings the power of God into your life. And so Peter knows this. So Peter says, command me to do something I cannot do. Command me to do something I can't do on my own. Give me a command that's above and beyond me. Right? Don't, don't command me uh, to feel a little bit better uh, in the boat while we sink. Don't command me uh, to do something that is within my reach. Right? Keep, keep on rowing, Peter. Just keep on rowing. Okay, I can do that. No, don't command me to do something I can do. Command me to do something I cannot do. So that the power of God has to come through me. Because it's great to see God do amazing things. It's great to see God walk on water. It's great to see God heal other people. It's great to see God step in for other people and save other people's kids. It's great to see God set up destinies for other people and open doors for other people and, 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 and save other people and, and do all this stuff. It's great. But if I'm really going, if I'm going to know that you're God, you need to put your power inside of me. 
I need, because, because, because prophets can do amazing things. Other people can do amazing things. But if you're God, then you are in an empowering God. You are a God who gives power to the weak. You are a God who is more than enough for me, not just for the 5,000, not just to feed people, not just to raise people from the dead, but you can give me power to step on top of what is threatening to come over me. You can give me, but there's always a command. I mean, I mean, like, uh, for, like, so there's no reason for you to be bowled over by any waves in your life because in every stormy situation, in every wave that comes up against you, there is a command from God for you to follow. If you have sickness in your body, there's a command. Scripture says that those who are sick, let them come to church. Let them come to the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. There's a command. Now, you say, well, I don't, I don't really know if that works. Well, how about you be obedient and see if the power of God comes through your obedience to that command? If you're, struggling, if, 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 you're, if you're struggling to be consistent in your walk with Jesus, there's a command. It says to be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't really know if getting dunked in water is going to do anything. No, no, no. Just, just, just be obedient to the command and see what God might do through your obedience. You, you're, you're holding out. You're, you're, you're waiting for the power without the obedience, and that's why you never get the power. That's why you stay in the boat. That's why the storm never stops. That's why the waves keep on beating against you because you haven't risen above it with every, with every command. I mean, if, if you have anxiety, the Bible says to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. What does that mean? It means pray about it. It's a command. So I don't really know if Jesus can, can take, take away my anxiety. Try it. Just be obedient to the command. All the disciples, I'm sure they're like, man, is he going to jump out of this boat? Like, for, he's going to walk on. Pete, like, maybe you need to think about this, Pete. Like, maybe you need to talk, talk this over first. But what Peter knew is that with every command, there comes a power to be able to obey the command. And you might look at the command objectively and you say, I can never do that. I just, I just, I just, I've tried before. It didn't work. One time I was like four years old, tried walking on water, and I almost drowned. That definitely doesn't work. You know, I have some past experience with, with, with water. Peter had experience with water as a fisherman. He knew all about water. He knew that you can't walk on water. But that's why he said, give me a command, because you cannot walk on water, but you can walk on a command. You can walk on a word from God. You can, you, it will hold you. It'll hold your weight. It'll hold the weight of your life. You can, you're, it'll hold your kids. It'll hold your grandkids. It'll hold your family. It'll hold your country. It'll hold your presidential nominee. It'll hold the president of the United States. It'll hold the White House. I'm telling you, a word from God can hold the weight of the world on it. Jesus said, look, everything's going to pass away, but one word from me will never pass away. It's got the durability and the strength to take the weight of all of your doubt and all of your questioning. You don't even have to fully believe that it's going to work. You just have to step out of the boat and step into obedience. Step on the word. Put your weight on the word so that if it doesn't work, you look like an idiot. <laughs> and that's what Peter puts himself in that situation. Scripture says that by his stripes we're healed. There's a word for God for your sickness. There's a word for God for your regret. The Bible says, remember not the former things. Don't look back on the former things. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. The waves of regret start, start overcoming you. You don't have to be drowned by what mistakes you made in the past. This is a command. Forget about it. Let it go. Just be like Elsa. Let it go. 
just <laughs> it's a command let it go don't just let it go but look ahead look to what God's doing right here and right now don't remember the past things don't remember the former things behold look here turn your face here I'm doing something new would you stop looking at your mistakes and your failures and would you start looking at the one who's able to make you do something different than you've done in the past say, well, I've tried and it just hasn't worked. No, no, this is obedience. You tried in your own strength. You tried to tighten up things and stru structure things and get things together on your own strength. You tried swimming and it didn't work out. You've been out here in the boat rowing and rowing and rowing, but what you haven't done, you haven't stepped out on a word from God. And this is what requires. This is, this is what happens. This is what the kind of God that we serve, that inside of a lifeboat, he will call you and you will respond to his word. I think what's equally important is here at the end of this passage, at the end of this passage in verse 34, immediately after verse 33, uh, it says that when they had crossed over, they came to the land of uh, Gesenerit, verse 35, and when the men that place recognized him, they sent out all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick, Jesus, and begged Jesus that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. It's interesting to me that Peter goes out on the water, and, uh, and then he fails. He sinks into the, to the water, and he cries out, and the Lord pulls him out, and then he comes back, and the disciples worship Jesus. Many times, one thing that keeps us from stepping on a word from God, stepping out on a word from God, is this fear of failure. Because, well, how will that make God look if I say, well, I'm a Christian, and then I do that? Right, because we don't want to make God look bad, is what we say. Because, um, you know, because God's pretty, pretty good. He's pretty, pretty awesome, pretty cool guy. And so we don't want to, like, make him look bad. So, so we think, well... I'm not going to do that because, I mean, just how dumb would Jesus look if I sink, right? I mean, if I'm walking on the word, and then I sink, wow. Okay, I guess God isn't able. I guess he's not as powerful as I thought. And if we're not careful, we get into a perfectionism mindset, and we start having a fear that if I sink, this is somehow going to make Jesus look not like God. What's interesting, though, it didn't happen. By the way, um, you're going to sink. FYI, Let's throw that out there. Um, nobody just walks on a word from God without sinking. Nobody is perfect except Jesus. Nobody doesn't stumble. Nobody doesn't get scared by the wind occasionally. So it's going to happen. The question is, does this make God look bad? Does this make Jesus look less like God? Well, ask the other disciples. No. He gets in the boat. Disciples say, you are the son of God. Yeah, but Pete just sank. Did you see that, guys? Like, yeah, he was walking for a little bit. That was cool, but then he sank. Kind of like a normal human. Just, whoop, sank. Just, that's, that's what happened. And the disciples, I think they would have said to you, yeah, but Jesus reached out and grabbed him and pulled him up. Can I just suggest to you that the grace of Jesus is just as convincing <laughs> to a fallen world as the power of Jesus the grace of Jesus is just as convincing to the onlookers of your life as the power of Jesus. 
And Pete could have been like, yeah, okay, cool. Just kind of ring out, ring out my robes, get back in the boat. Hey, guys, how's it going? Um, I'm sure, you know, hopefully they didn't notice I slipped and fell. Hopefully they didn't see that part. You know, the waves were kind of high. Maybe they didn't see, you know, and he just kind of pretend like everything's cool. But he doesn't. The, 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 the author of Scripture says, look, clearly Peter sank. And it wasn't that great, and, uh, and he definitely almost drowned, and Jesus reached out and saved him so that, the, so that the glory doesn't go to Peter having this great faith of walking with Jesus. The glory goes to Jesus for both having the power to sustain Peter, but also the grace to bring Peter back when Peter fell. And God will glorify himself in your life, both through your successes and through your failures. And they say, wow, this is the Son of God. And then immediately they get to the other side and they start serving, right? Everybody from the town lines up and they have to be like Chick-fil-A. You know, the, the 12 disciples are like, okay, so you're going to be healed. Okay, you stand here. You're going to be healed. Okay, you stand there. All right, Jesus is over there. So we got like a thousand people here. We got to line these folks up. Kids over here, women are they were just kind of, okay. So, and, 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 and nobody says, hey, Pete, you, get, you better stay in the boat, dude. Right, because you're all wet from falling. You're the faller. So the faller, he stays in the boat. The other 11 of us who didn't, you know, make a fool of ourselves last night, uh, we're going to minister because we got it together. You know what I'm saying? Like, we trusted it was Jesus all along, actually, Pete. I don't know about you, but we, you know, the whole screaming thing, that was just for you. We were trying to help you out. But, you know, we, you know, we were a little scared. But, but the faller's got to stay in the boat. This is what we do oftentimes in church, isn't it? It's like the faller... Well, they can't really serve. They can't really do. Like, you, you just need to hang out in the boat till you dry off a bit. Because we think that our failure makes Jesus look bad, so other people's failure is going to make Jesus look bad. And so, yeah, we don't really want to talk about you too much. <laughs> Wait till you get your life together, and then we'll, and then we'll, and then we'll. And, and, it's, and, and, it's, and it's amazing to me that that's why oftentimes the boat for many Christians is not a safe place. Because it's not a place where if you fall, you can come back. You can try stuff, but if it doesn't work out, if you make a left when you should have made a right, <laughs> if you go down when you should have went up, then you're not necessarily welcome back in the boat. This is why the boat of the disciples, the lifeboat of the early church, was so powerful, because there was forgiveness there. Because they recognize, man, your mistakes don't make Jesus look bad. Your mistakes make you look human. But they don't make Jesus look bad. His grace makes him look really good. And so they're like, Pete, how about you preach on the day of Pentecost? Yeah, but I'm the guy who felt, yeah, that's cool. You understand grace, Pete. How about you get up there and tell these, these fallen people all about a Jesus who can do something different? <laughs> Pete, how would you instruct these guys? Get them, line them up, because Jesus can heal them. Yeah, but I felt. No, it's all right. Still dripping wet. No judgment, just power. If we want tr to truly empower people, we can't judge them on the front end. We have to say, look, God's grace can still look really good. And his power is still available to you. You fell, but he got you up and he walked you all the way back. He didn't carry him back. <laughs> His power is still available. And that's what we believe. We believe in freedom. We believe in the power of God to do something different in your life than you've ever had before. But we also believe in the grace of God to cover everything that you've done. 
and accept you into this boat, this lifeboat, even if you're a little bit wet. So I've asked for uh, Dennis to come up and share. Dennis is going to be leading. Dennis and Casey lead a small group on freedom. Dennis, would you come up and share a quick testimony? This is one small group that is all about freedom. It's all about having the power to walk in what God's called you to do, but also having the grace to be able to let go of stuff. And so he shared with me a little story this week. I'd just like for him to share his personal story with what he's experienced and uh, to invite you to his small group, his boat. It's a good boat. Can't promise it won't sink. <laughs> um, so if anybody has known me and my wife for, for a while, that we, we've, we've always wanted our own kids. Um, just hasn't happened. It hasn't been something that uh, God's allowed us to have as far as, you know, getting pregnant and all of that good stuff. But um, even from uh, when we first got married and stuff, we had talked about fostering and wanting to do, you know, take care of kids and, and fostering and, and perhaps, you know, even adopting. So, okay, so fast forward a little bit uh, to the freedom classes. We've been doing it for a while now and because when we went through it, what God really does in your life is really amazing. And so I'll start off by saying that whenever uh, we went through the freedom classes, um, we, uh, right before that, we had some twins that we were fostering that they were itty-bitty, they were um, newborns. And, you know, there was a whole bunch of issues, and I can get into that later if you ever want to hear that, but they were supposed to be ours, and then they weren't. When you talk about freedom, first thing that I started feeling was, there's something wrong with me that God doesn't grant me something I've always wanted. Can't have my own kids. <laughs> and now, trying to do something to get, you know, make a family, and it falls apart. And then I think to myself, like, you know, and, I, and this is all inner process. And I think, you know, I'm not showing this to anybody. My wife was the only one who knew, you know, I had to put on the face and the smile because I didn't, like Harry was saying, I didn't want anybody to know that God was failing me and that I felt like he was failing me. So freedom, the freedom classes, they, you know, they, they, they talk to you about, you know, what it is to truly believe in Christ and, and just the mindsets that we believe in, the lies that we believe about the situations and, and things that happen to us when we're growing up. And I mean, just, it's a whole awesome, like, reprogramming. But then it ends up with this, this event called Kairos, and, and T-Bear and uh, Lolly just came from that, and here's some amazing things. But in that, we, we were there, and they started speaking about soul ties. And to me, I always thought soul ties were like these bad things, you know, like, oh, you can't, call, you know, you're, you're messing around with that girl, you know, when you're not, you know, when you're not married. That's what I was a single young man growing up in the church. Hey, you're messing around with that girl. You got soul ties. You know, that's why your life isn't coming out right and all this other stuff. But, you know, now that I'm married, I'm like, soul ties? There's nothing, there's nothing in me that says that I have any connection to it. There's no bad soul ties. And then... The person that goes up there to speak, she starts ministering and says that soul ties don't necessarily have to be bad. And she says that sometimes we, we, we bond with things and with people and, and they're good bonds, but it's only for a season. And God's teaching you something in those seasons. But there were so many lies caught up into that bond that I had made with these babies. 
that I thought there's never going to be a change and there's just something wrong with me and, and, and it's just never going to come out. And I didn't even think about that when they were ministering about that. And they had ministered about some other things and I'd like all tore up. I get to lunch and, and uh, Susie had gone with us and Susie and I, I mean, we just, we would just look at each other and we, would, we were like, yeah, I'm tore up too <laughs> because it was just so, so healing. And then Casey tells me at the, at, during the lunch, she says, I, I believe God wants us to give up the soul ties that we have with those babies. And it broke me. So it's like, these are my babies. They were my babies. No one's ever going to take their place. And, but I knew it. When she said it, I just felt the Holy Spirit like, I'm in this. You need to do it. And then, uh, we went through the, a few more sessions and I came out and uh, they had a break and I, I said, all right. And I, you know, we prayed right then and there and not even before that day had finished, they called us from the fostering agency and they said, we have a baby girl for you. And now the crazy thing is, is that with fostering, you don't, <laughs> if you're not in the town when there's a, a child that, that needs a home, they get the next person. They're just like, well, you know, you can't be here. So we're like, we're in Dallas at this conference. You know, we're in freedom. And I said, yes, God, but now I'm 500 miles away. You know, and I, I can't get over there. And they're like trying to give us, well, can you buy a plane ticket? Can you do this? Can you do And I mean, they're, they're just trying to get us to get over there. And I said, you know what? If it's not God's will for this baby girl to be ours, and we stand on the promise that God's going to do something great in our lives. And I've always had the feeling of being a father. And I know what's going to happen. The lady says, tells Casey, let me call you back. And then she says, we worked it out. When you guys come back from Dallas, you come pick up this baby girl at this other house. And Olivia Samantha has been with us since she was newborn. She's three years old and she's ours. We adopted her and everything. But it goes to show you that freedom does work that out, you know? Had I held on to the fact of saying, there's something wrong with me, God, you just, just want, you don't want me to have what I think I need, you know, all these other things. If I had held on to those things and been uh, bound by those things, how much freedom would have really come if I hadn't stepped out in faith? Thank you. Dennis, um, yeah, soul ties can be things that we put our hope in, because it, it says something about us, it says something about, we, we think it says something about us, but it really doesn't, the power of Jesus and the grace of Jesus is all Jesus wants to communicate to the world, he doesn't want to tell the world anything about you, <laughs> just FYI, he wants get the glory for working out, bringing the right little girl into their life, Olivia, and uh, the blessing that she is, and uh, he knows exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it, and he's good, and so we're going to bow our heads for just a moment, close our eyes, and I would just offer this, this Jesus to you, he's calling out one word in scripture that he gives us over and over, he says, call out to me and I will answer you. 
I'll show you great and mighty things that you can't even imagine right now. In another place it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I would just offer that to you right now, that if you will call on Jesus, he will come into your life and he will do something inside of you that you've not been able to do on your own. And if you'd like to call on him today, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I want to call on him. I want to accept him into my life. I need him. 